Welcome to another episode of Black Boy Joy Podcast. You're here with me, Ainsley. And with me here, Kieran. And yes, so for today's episode, it will be released on the 13th of May, that's Thursday the 13th of May, which incidentally is the day after Eid. So to celebrate it, we thought we'd have a member of our Muslim LGBT community come join us for a chat. So welcome to Faison from Iman. They are the co-founder of the LGBT Muslim support group of the same name, Iman. Welcome to Black Boy Joy podcast. Thank Faison. you very much. For, thank you very much for having me, both of you. For <laughs> thank you us. for being here. Thank you for joining us. How have you been? How are you? Yeah, okay. Um, it's Ramadan, obviously, still, So as we're recording, so um, coming towards the end of it. So this month's been, you know, a bit tiring, sleep has been broken, but, you know, it's also been very enlightening, I think, as well. And it's, it's been quite busy unexpectedly as well for me. Yeah, I can imagine. So I know, so with Ramadan, you go through a period of fasting, is that correct? That's right, yeah. Um, and... So basically, it's um, a month long of n- not eating while the sun is up. So you have your final meal of the day um, just before the sun comes up. And these days it's around sort of 3.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means a lot of getting up in the middle of the night and trying to eat when you really don't feel like eating and trying to drink yeah. a lot of water and all that sort of thing. Um, and then fasting all the way until the sun goes down, which is around 8.30. So it's a bit of a long day. Yeah. And to clarify, when you say fasting, you mean like no food or drink? Yeah, no food or drink. There's a joke, actually, that Muslims say, not even water, because like that's like the question that everyone asks. Who, you know, yeah. That familiar. Yeah. It's like, do you mean not even water? Not yeah. even water, like literally nothing. No food, no water. Yeah. I remember, so I have like, I have like uh, quite a few Muslim friends, especially like where I'm from back in Birmingham. And I remember trying to fast with them, like on like one or two days. And when it got to like 4pm, it was murder. It was so murder. <laughs> it, it is tricky, but I mean, like my partner is, um, doesn't come from a Muslim background. Um, and he, um, has fasted with me, but he reports the same thing. But I, like I say to him and I'll say to anyone, it really does, it's like muscle memory and mm-hmm. no one is convinced by this until you do it and you have to do it, I think, a number of times before it just becomes like a bit of a habit. Mm-hmm. Um, and like back in the day, because like I come from like pretty traditional Pakistani background and they start us fasting like when we're children, like literally. So I mm-hmm. remember being about eight or nine and doing a fast so you know if you do it that many times over the years it's not you know that but that's a big commitment so you know you can't really expect everyone yeah. to yeah get <laughs> I, was, I was actually going to ask um when you do start because i thought oh if you're maybe really small for a child you get like get let off i was just wondering at what point in general like <laughs> i think generally that like the idea is that you when you're kind of old enough and i would <laughs> You know, if it were me, I'd probably say maybe sort of as a, d- a teenager, maybe. But even that is a bit difficult because, you know, teenagers need like different nutrients and stuff like that. Um, I haven't read where like a specific age. I do think that, you know, eight or nine is quite young. But having mm-hmm. said that, I've got nieces and nephews who see the older ones in the family fasting and want to try it. So like, you know, 
I've got an eight-year-old nephew who I think did one, but, you know, um, it's fine. And also people do things like mini fasts to kind of get people, Mm -hmm. you know, used to it. So that's children and people who don't normally fast who want to try it out. Say, look, you know, start it out as a, you know, up until a certain point in the day just to build up your kind of, you know, capacity. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it does sound, it sounds a lot harsher than it actually is. Because I think that I really think the idea of not eating and drinking is far more scary than actually not eating and drinking. And that's, I also appreciate that that has like some connotations and can be a bit triggering for people who struggle with like maybe eating disorders. So that's like mm-hmm. a bit of a thing that I'm also conscious of. But in my experience anyway, um, the fear of it is often bigger than actually what it is. Of course, yeah. So it's like kind of like the monster in your head is worse than the actual process of like going through going through it. Yeah, and also the other thing isn't even for me. You know, I've been fasting practically every year since I was, you know, a kid. Um, even me, like who's done it for so many years, in the in the weeks running up to Ramadan, I get touchy and nervous and anxious. I'm like, oh my god, how am I going to manage this? How am I going to mm-hmm you know, get my work done at the same time, how, you know, it's going to really disrupt everything. Because it does, it does change your whole um, day-to-day life. It really puts mm-hmm. you in a completely different zone. It's quite hard to explain, but it's like, mm-hmm. it's like being on like a spiritual boot camp. And mm-hmm. it's like being removed from like the real world in a way, because this hunger does something to a person's body. Obviously, we need food and we need drink to survive. And when you don't have it, the tiredness takes over your and you feel your energy levels kind of just dropping as the day goes on um and that i don't know it kind of just removes you from your daily life and i think that is the point because you become acutely aware of how dependent you are on mm-hmm. you know things outside of yourself because we might become quite self-sufficient and think well you know i'm young and i'm fit and i'm healthy and you know I, i've got food in the in the cupboard and blah 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 but you know you realize that you really are dependent on so many factors keeping you alive and i think that's one of the spiritual lessons i think yeah so i like i was gonna ask kind of like so where does fasting come from like where does um like ramadan the fasting do you know did, uh, could you explain a little bit of that or yeah, so it's one of um, the main things as a Muslim that you are required to do, uh, along with, you know, a few other things like, you know, praying five times a day, um, giving to charity, declaring your faith in God, going to the pilgrimage. It's like one of the main pillars of this psalm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not just a Muslim thing. I think it's been prescribed the Quran talks about it being prescribed in uh, for other religious communities as well. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. it's also uh, a practice in other spiritual communities, not even like those, the three, you know, the three that are connected with Islam, which are Judaism and Christianity. Because like Lent mm-hmm. is like a kind of fasting, isn't it? I was it? just about to say, I was yes, just about uh... to say the exact same thing. It is, yeah. Yeah, so it's histor- religiously, historically, it's been part of the spiritual practice for many, many communities. And that's what i understand about it mm-hmm. okay and that leads that will lead you up to eid which is on the 12th of may um yeah so it's all depending on the sighting of the moon so yeah. this is like another joke that you hear muslims uh talk about you know when they're trying to get um time off work and it's like um 
it's like saying you know and then your boss will say okay which day do you need off and you're like i don't know (laughs) (laughs) because you you can't predict actually well when are you gonna know um the night before do you know what i mean so because (laughs) it's dependent on the sighting of the moon and um that tends to come from either a mosque or from you know sometimes there's some quibbling over when eid actually is so you might find Mm -hmm. different Muslim communities up and down the country celebrating on different days, depending on which mosque they're listening to. But honestly, I think a lot of people make it more complicated than it needs to be. Okay. And on Eid, what like what typically happens? So on Eid, um, you are forbidden to fast. So you've got to, you've got to eat. You're like um, mm-hmm. it's like feasting that happens, right? Yeah. Um, you get up early. And you um, have to, you generally wear like new clothes and mm-hmm. you uh, have special Eid prayers. So you either do that at home or you go to the mosque. Um, and then you spend time with your family. Kids get lots of money. You know, it was like mm-hmm. one of the great um, memories I have as a kid is getting lots of money from random mm-hmm. adults in the family. You know, it was great. Mm-hmm. And now, like, my nieces and nephew get the same thing. It's a. Uh, um that sort of thing and just eating and visiting family and friends you know obviously this year and last year has been different with covid mm-hmm. um so there's been a lot of doorstop you know exchanging of food and doorstop you know handing over of gifts and money and stuff like that yeah. so, um doorstep doorstepping like that so it's been a bit different this last couple of years but generally that's what happens mm-hmm it sounds, to be honest, it sounds a lot like Christmas Day, to be fair. Well, it is. I mean, you know, when we were younger, they'd say, oh, it's the Muslim Christmas. But actually, it's a completely different story, isn't it? So Christmas yeah, is all of about course. one thing. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, Ramadan is a big deal. Yeah. I remember, like, a friend of mine, um, when we were in school, and um, when he came back from Eid, the, the, the thing he talked about the most is about money that he got from, yeah. like, from his family members. Exactly. Well, you know, as a young person, that's going to be like your your main thing, isn't it? The new yeah, clothes, sure. the flash trainers or whatever. Yeah. But I think as you get older, it takes on like a bit more of a spiritual meaning or it certainly has for me. Yeah, of course. Am I right in thinking, um, do you have two Eid celebrations within a year or? Yeah, exactly. So this Eid that's coming up is Eid al-Fitr and then there'll be an Eid later on in the year, which is... Um, called Eid al-Adha um, and they have different meanings uh, and different significances um, but this one is Eid al-Fitr oh, they both so you get two lots of money basically you get two lots of money and two <laughs> lots of new clothes and everything so are they both preceded by a month of fasting or is it just uh, no it, this hour? is this just this Eid is preceded by fasting okay it's strange because obviously we both grew up like sort of I think the school we went to that's very multicultural, so we grew up around lots of like sort of Muslim um, people, and I'd always be thinking sometimes thinking, oh, wasn't it Eid like a few months ago kind of thing? But then like you know, yeah, it's like you know a lot of peripheral details about people's like religions and festivals, but not really like the nitty gritty. So it's just interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's the same. I guess it's the same with everybody, isn't it? With everyone else's like religious and cultural, uh, you know, festivities. But yeah, it does mean like two two lots of days off and two lots of all the rest of the the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Kieran is right. Where we um kind of where we went to school, I'd say as much I'd actually estimate as much of the of the students were uh, from South like South Asia, so from the Indian subcontinent. So 
um, their well, their background was like India, Pakistan, or Bangladesh, yeah. and of that we had like quite a high Muslim intake as well. So when Eid was on, the school would be almost half empty. You'd, you'd, oh, you'd feel right. like as well, yeah. I can so yeah. um, it was good. I think because we're from, I mean, we're from Birmingham, which um, obviously as a city itself is very is very multicultural. Exactly. And where we were is that um it's an area called Handsworth. Okay. And that in itself I liken it to Brixton. So I say oh, that right. like yeah, like Handsworth is the Brixton of Birmingham. <laughs> I'd love to go and spend a bit more time there. I was there last year year or when the lock one of the lockdowns had stopped or something. But it seems like it's an up and coming place, right? I didn't realise it was like um the second biggest city in the country. Yeah. Everyone thinks it's Manchester. Exactly, yeah, I think it's because Manchester has much better football teams and people who come from Manchester. I think it's just a big reputation. It's just dwarfed, isn't it? Because a lot of people are like, oh, Birmingham, it's like a piece of trivia that Birmingham is the second city. And us from Birmingham was like, oh, everyone should know this, but like, yeah. Well, you know, London's so self centered and self interested. So, you know, I know it's quite hard, but I see like it's becoming, you know, lots of, uh, you know, they're building it up quite a lot from what I saw from Mm. the city centre. It's changing a lot, huh? It is, yeah. I was just going to say that the one fact that everyone dolls out about Birmingham is that there's more miles of canal than Venice. That's like, that's the big, that's um, that's the big number one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Walked along some of it, didn't realise there was so much of it, but no, nice place. Anyway, right. Let's move on. Let's um talk about so as I said in the introduction, you are the co founder of Iman as LGBT Muslim support group. Yes. Um right. won't you tell us a bit more about uh about Iman, like what is it what is it that uh, that the charity does? So we're a support charity. We um we are, what's the word? we kind of arrange support for people, but in a, it's mostly peer support. So we arrange events, a lot of events and a lot of, um, mm-hmm. um, like for example, at the moment we have Ramadan. So every Saturday we have a meetup. Generally it's in person where people bring food and we sit together and, you know, share food and we get that kind of, you know, you get to meet other LGBTQ plus Muslims, which I think is a really powerful um, mm-hmm. way of coming to terms with like who you are with your own identities at the moment we're doing them online obviously um, but the upside to that is that we've been able to welcome people from around the world so before it was mostly people in London or maybe you know sometimes we've been to Manchester or Birmingham and other cities um, but this has really opened it up so I think even going forward would continue uh, doing an on you know online events uh, like this anyway so um that's what we do. We were founded in 1999. Um, actually, I should say a bit more about what we do. So we also refer people to, you know, if they need any kind of support, if it's mental health or any kind of like domestic violence or stuff like that, we do that too. Mm-hmm. We also do big things for, as I said, Ramadan, for Pride is like a really big um, time in the, like a big event during the, the calendar um and monthly meetings and we try to make those monthly meetings um address the issues the most common issues that lgbtq plus muslims face so a lot of stuff around family a lot of stuff around mental health we do Mm -hmm. stuff about sexual health you know a different kind of subject every month just to try to address those issues that even now you know 20 years after we founded more than 20 years after we founded people are still finding uh, that they're having trouble facing but um if you want to know about how we came about i can tell you about that 
Um, mm -hmm. We started in 1999, um, and it was a really different world in uh, at that point. So there was no real internet to speak of. Uh, no, no, there was internet, but there wasn't social media at all. Mm -hmm. um, and so the way it was really hard to find other people like yourself. So there wasn't like, you know, a lot of websites out there or a lot of resources that you could access quite easily. And so what happened was that there was an American uh, gay Muslim man who had started a group in uh, the US who came to London, put an advert into the pink paper, which I think is now online, isn't it? Pink News, it's called, pink isn't news, it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It was called the pink paper, and you used to find that in venues and cafes, like queer venues around uh, the around the city. And so I saw an advert in '99, and it was a point, <coughs> excuse me, where I was really suffering. You know, like a lot of people still still really suffer when you come to realise that shit, I really am queer, and mm -hmm. how the hell am I going to square this with? being you know who I am from my cultural and religious background and I you know had a lot of anxiety it really impacted my mental health terribly um mm -hmm. and it just so happened within like a week of having a real meltdown I saw this advert and he was calling a meeting so I went down to the meeting it was in November 99 and that's where I met all of the other people who then became um you know the organizers and the trustees and the volunteers of Iman and um, I've been involved pretty much ever since on and off I took a bit of a break um, about 10 years ago but in the last few years I've been getting a bit more involved again because it's just like a, I didn't know that I would still feel so passionately about this uh, this area but it, you know and seeing as I'm seeing you know even younger people today still facing the same problems just kind of motivates mm -hmm. me to try and do something more yeah so when you started it in 1999 do you think there have been like any change like i imagine like someone being a queer muslim in 1999 might look different to the way it might look in 2021 do you think there's been any change or development over time or has it stayed the same no there's been loads of changes i mean the most immediate change that we saw was i mean um 1999 was obviously before 9 11 right so right, yeah we started off just as a kind of a kind of a really small charity that was defending ourselves against homophobia within like our own cultural communities right and trying to navigate our gender identities sexualities with our religion that was like the main premise but mm -hmm. then 9-11 happened and everything changed for us because suddenly like there was a rise in anti-Muslim hate in this country and all around the world. And we definitely mm -hmm. felt it for the first time because before that, like you really wouldn't know the difference between a Muslim and a Sikh and a Hindu or do you know what I mean? I went mm -hmm. to a school, for example, that was a, had a lot of South Asian people. My best friends were like Sikh and someone else was Hindu and whatever. That We didn't feel any difference between any of us. We The similarity that we had was that cultural similarities, you know, the same kind of strict parents or the same, you know, films that we watched and, and stuff like that. But there was no religious kind of way that separated us. But that all changed after 9-11 completely. And that has been the major thing. And I think I've seen that grow and grow and grow not just for lgbtq plus muslims but for muslims generally it's like you mm -hmm. wouldn't really be able to spot a muslim in like a general diverse crowd you wouldn't kind mm -hmm. of you know there was a lot 
hardly anybody wore hijab like I went to a girl school like I said that was mostly South Asian and there was like maybe one girl that was kind of a bit forced to wear it and you know mm-hmm. we were all a bit kind of feeling a bit sorry for her um but now like that same school that I went to like almost all the Muslim girls wear it and that is an interesting phenomena that you know I I think is worth exploring like in a different conversation so like the Muslim identity has become definitely like more prominent than it was back in 99 so um in terms of how that impacted I should go back a little bit because I do think that that is a result of the Islamophobia that started to emerge in the Mm -hmm. early 2000s because suddenly we were under attack and um as part of the wider Muslim community we were also under attack so that illustrated itself in for example we would uh, be we've been marching at you know pride in london or london pride as it was called then um from the late 90s but in the early 2000s we were even getting islamophobic abuse from other lgbt people right mm-hmm. so you mm-hmm. know we were called terrorists we were called you know uh which was not what i was expecting honestly speaking i really thought that when you come from one marginalized community that you yeah. would have some empathy yeah. with another but mm-hmm. it showed us you know quite sadly that prejudice exists everywhere and it to our you know sadness it it saw that you know it it also exists within our lgbtq community the wider community and i think mm-hmm. that is probably still prevalent uh to a degree so that has changed what else has changed the the major thing that i've seen that has changed is like our visibility so when we first started we were there was no precedent that we knew of of uh, lgbtq plus muslims visible anywhere and everything that we did was very very secret so you know we handed out flyers in gay venues um or you know ven- or events where um you know we might find other queer muslims but uh, we had like a secret telephone line uh we had like a secret email address um mm-hmm. none of us appeared um on tv anywhere um none of us gave our real names i think that's a bit of a legacy that's, that's hung over a little bit but not that much um what else so it was just like general visibility was quite low but at the same time we needed to get our message out so then when social media became a thing and twitter and facebook and all the rest of that stuff and instagram um two things happened one for us as a charity we were able to reach more people and become mm-hmm. a bit more visible but at the same time the younger lgbtq plus muslims you know they didn't have that those same hang ups that we had grown up with as young people mm-hmm. in the uk so to my i find it still even now like really surprising how out there um you know some of our younger uh, queer muslim community are i mean i think it's amazing i think it's incredible but i really would want to know like how do you navigate it like we were you know we lived in real fear and i it's such a mixed bag because i know that there are people who still live in the same situation where they live in fear of um you know either their workplaces or their family environments or you know extended family and that's still a real issue but at the same time you see a lot of people who are very visible online and being very open about their gender identities and sexualities which is a fantastic thing um but i think that's been that is definitely been the shift that i've the biggest shift i think that i've noticed recently at least mhm i always find that with like when it comes to visibility especially like increased visibility for 
I'm kind of like queer Muslim-led organisation or queer, um, so like queer African or queer Afro-Caribbean. I think it's always like as time goes on, I, I think that's what you want. You want more visibility. But for me, I always I always counteract that as like it being a double-edged sword because like once you have more visibility, it also means that like um, you kind of like put yourself more as a target or people might want want to come at you with like like lots of different like lots of different things. I know that would like weigh on the back of my mind as like things start to grow. Uh, has that happened with Iman at all or? Um, I think it, I think probably with people in the community, I mean, we get a backlash. I mean, I look after the communications on our, like, uh, like our social media and our digital presence. So I see mm-hmm. the sort of backlash that we get. Um, and I can imagine that it would be really stressful if you were putting yourself out there personally. I see people in the community who do put themselves out personally and very visible like that. And I've also mm-hmm. noted the impact that it's clearly having on their mental health. So it's mm-hmm. always like a balance that I think you need to be aware of and prepared mm-hmm. for because it definitely is a double-edged sword. You will get like a lot of um, visibility and you will do a lot of good um, yeah. by being you know, a reflection for people who are not sure about themselves, who need to see someone who's like themselves out there. At Mm -hmm. the same time, you've got to balance that with your own, you know, personal well-being. And um, there's a lot into it. And in fact, this is one of the subjects that, I mean, I'm sure we can talk about this later on, but when we were arranging the Muslim Pride event that got postponed because of COVID, Iman Mm -hmm. Fest, that was going to be a whole session about visibility and social media and what it means, because I think it's a really interesting discussion to have um, precisely for the reason that you say it's a double edged sword, isn't it? Yeah. 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 In, in like the current day and age, um, are there still many safety measures that you feel you have to take or do you kind of do you feel like you can kind of do your sort of day to day business freely with, with the charity? I think we've been reasonably cautious. So, and we try, we test and we try out things, you know, Mm -hmm. so, you know, we've tried and tested things like, you know, putting a Zoom link out on our social media rather than, um, you know, going through the process of um, getting people to sign up a Google Doc and then getting back in touch and then vetting them and all the rest of that stuff. And that we touch wood, uh, we haven't had any problems so far. that is actually a surprising thing and again touch wood because i'm not i don't want to tempt fate but maybe as a result of us being reasonably cautious and also a combination of there being so much out there um that you'd have to be pretty dedicated to a pretty dedicated homophobe or islamophobe to want to get at us i think i think there's Mm -hmm. enough obstacles there to put most people um you know off from Mm -hmm. you know i think you have to be pretty dedicated to be you know really hateful but there are people who are still out there who are um homophobic islamophobic biphobic transphobic and i i notice sometimes a shift in our social media when we reach a critical mass or a a tipping point in far in as much as say our content gets shared because obviously Mm -hmm. it will go to our followers who we generally assume are our supporters but Mm -hmm. sometimes when it gets shared enough then it goes outside our bubble 
mm-hmm. and then the homophobes and the Islamophobes get wind of it, and then that's when you start seeing the nasty comments and mm. um, you know the the DMs and the you know whatever, and especially on Instagram for some reason that 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 might be like a demographic thing. I think maybe it attracts the younger, more you know violently minded person. I don't know. There's like lots of theories about it. Mm-hmm. But if they want to waste their time, go for it. You know, <laughs> waste your time. We 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 keep track of everything, by the way. So you know, we hand over stuff to the police regularly. Yes. I mean, I should. I don't want to spend. I don't. I just don't want to spend that much time with um with trolls and racists and homophobes and like, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so but also um, the other thing to say that I mean about that is it's not just a matter of ignoring it because luckily uh, an organisation with our sort of history and profile attracts a lot of support. So often what we find is that our supporters will come to our defence. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that is a great resource. So, you know, mm-hmm. do build your audience and your supporters, I'd say, for anyone in a situation like ours. Yeah, that's true, actually. I just think, yeah, I guess I, when it comes to things like that, like the traditional advice, traditional advice used to be just to try and ignore it and it will go away. But sometimes I do think that like in a safe, sp- like in a safe way that we should be able to stand up for ourselves. And be able to like push back on rhetoric like that. Like, it's not every day it can be just like I'm just ignoring it when like all this vitriol is coming at you. I completely agree with you, and I do think that it's like a um, takes a, a an array of different strategies to defend yourself. And sometimes ignoring it is the strategy, and other times it's being really strong, and you know standing your ground and repeating facts and figures. Like you know, for example, we had a last a couple of years ago um a bit of a campaign about around eid for lgbtq plus muslims and like mm-hmm. some we got some quotes from our community about you know how are you going to be spending eid is it something that you're dreading um because like a lot of religious holidays or cultural holidays it can be really um you know a bad time for people and like one of the quotes mm-hmm. was from our um supporters is you know i tell my friends that if you don't hear from me by midnight then call the police you know they've gone back to their family at Eid um, and you know it's a homophobic environment and mm-hmm. you know there is like some real danger there and that really struck a chord with people and I think it's just worth repeating those facts because an, a person's experience is fact right mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. if someone's in danger it's it's a fact and if you, you I think periodically strategically you have to keep you know pushing out those facts and if you got a survey about uh, that you've done with your community put it put it put it putting out those facts as well but i agree with you it's um sometimes it's best just to ignore it yeah i think it well the kind of stuff stuff like that is to do with kind of like the whole idea of protecting your peace so so i guess the level of interaction you want to do with it should be based on like what the person is comfortable with and how how far it would affect like your own wellness and your own mental health and everything and everything like that I think that is so, so important because I think that, I think especially younger people don't realise the cumulative effect that, you know, barrages of abuse and even if it's online, it doesn't maybe feel like it's directly at you, but it can really get to you mentally. Mm -hmm. And if you, because it does, unfortunately, it doesn't go away. You know, I was not expecting to be facing, you know, 20 odd years later, the same bullshit that 
you know, I don't know if we can swear, but uh, you can swear. Of, don't worry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the, the same nonsense that we heard back then, right? And obviously, I'm older and wiser now, and I'm more selective about how I deal with things. But it's twenty years, and I know of people within not necessarily the Muslim LGBTQ plus community, but just generally within the queer community who have who said, look, I know that, you know, I'm in my 50s or my 60s now that this has had like a real impact, not just on my mental health, but now like on my physical health. Like, you know, mm -hmm. they might have like anxiety, anxiety mm -hmm. and stress, hypertension, mm -hmm. all of those mm -hmm. things that can, you know, limit your life. So you really mm -hmm. do have to take this stuff seriously. And I think one of the that's why I really do think that meeting other people in your situation and building like, you know, your, your chosen family um, mm -hmm. and stuff like that is so, so important throughout your life. So really, you know, that it's just one of the things I just want the best for our younger people as they, they grow older, but not just them, but also for our older lot as well, because it's not just younger people. It's like, you know, it's it's older people it's 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 at every stage in your life do you know what i mean when yeah you, when you yeah. you know when you're coming out coming out as a thing when you get into a relationship that's like another big you know thing that attracts like a lot of um you know anxiety sometimes getting mm -hmm. married if you get married having children what do you do when you get older when you retire when you're out of work all the rest of that stuff it's just like an enormous um enormous endeavor to try to support this community Definitely. I'm glad you mentioned the older community, actually. I think that um, we get, like, uh, like uh, supporting our, like, younger queer, uh, like, queer members, um, we do, but sometimes, um, sometimes we tend to forget people who are older, so different stresses that they might, they, they might need support with. I know, for instance, that loneliness tends to, uh, tends to be something that people could, uh, people have to deal with that, that sort of time. Or even, um, I was reading, that if you're queer, so if you're part of the LGBT community, but you are in, um, you are, let's say, if you are old in elderly, you have to be in like an elderly home or a care home. Sometimes they feel like they, they, they again, they can't be comfortable being who they are. So it's almost like they have to go in again, go back in the closet, even though they're of their age. And I think, yeah, those are like really important things to remember as well. As I know are... sometimes I can get a lot of common tunnel vision. Yeah, I think I mean you can see why it happens, right? Because it's obviously mostly younger people who are involved in things like podcasts that you're, like you're doing, who mm -hmm. are on social media and things like that. Um, but there's you know there's older people. I should say older people. I'm older, right? So, um, but and older than me as well. There are people that are doing things to address the issue that you've just mentioned like you know what do you do when you uh you need to go into if you need to go into a care home and i know that mm -hmm. there are people out there who are doing who are trying to address that i think there's something called tonic housing um mm -hmm. that i think they've got some funding to build a care home for lgbtq plus people i That's mean that right, i think yeah. is good that is going to be a first but and i also have questions around how accessible that would be for mm -hmm. like diverse LGBTQ uh, communities. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, th these are all things that we need to do some forward planning about as, you know, people of color. Uh, we have like different needs and different, um, uh, you know, different needs basically. Uh, yeah. and so I would like to see like more of a conversation about things like retirement, but not just retirement, a whole range of things, which again yeah. is, you know, one of the conversations that I'm hoping that we can have when we finally do get to do um, you know, the Muslim Pride event, because there are so mm -hmm. many conversations to be had, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, well, you mentioned the Muslim Pride, Pride event, Iman Fest. Maybe now's a good time to talk about it. So, um, obviously, it's had to be delayed or postponed because of coronavirus. So, what is Iman Fest? What are the plans for it? So, Iman Fest originally um, was conceived as a way of celebrating our 20th anniversary. We needed to, um, you know, remind people that, hey, this is what we've achieved all of these years because, you know, obviously mm-hmm. a lot of the work that we've done was pre-social media. So, mm-hmm. there was like a, a need to do something like that. But also, in my mind, it was like, it to me, it seemed like there's like a whole array of more... Um, more lgbtq plus muslims out there more culture out there from our community more people speaking and having these discussions more experiences there was just like a whole big uh, culture that was emerging that wasn't really being catered for or addressed and i thought that combining these two uh, issues would be like a great idea and i i think who better to lead that than you know the oldest lgbtq plus um organization in the world actually so we set about organizing um a, a day-long festival that would include conversations panels workshops as well as some fun stuff you know like um communal meals together uh mm-hmm. dinner together um you know some entertainment in the evening um, just to get everybody together in one place so that we can have these difficult conversations that we very rarely get to have and mm-hmm. to build our community and to strengthen our community and to consolidate our community because I really do feel that we are quite a, a disparate community and not very well connected and I've always been really big on you know community building I think it's just you know mm-hmm. that's the, mm-hmm. the biggest way that you can get your strength and I take that inspiration actually from like my own like my mum's generation my mum when she came to this country from Pakistan didn't know any other you know people like her and Mm -hmm. needed to navigate uh, you know a new hostile environment uh, Mm -hmm. a racist environment where Mm -hmm. you know she had very few resources and that's what she did she built up her network and her community and I just see it as like doing the same thing because I see the benefit that comes with that you get your chosen family you get people that you can uh, find support with that can mm-hmm. help you through all sorts of things that your family perhaps won't help you with or can't help you with yeah or, you know you we we need community i just think it's vital so that was like another like main thread for um this festival everything was set to go i had everything lined up and some really exciting guests and um mm-hmm. stakeholders involved um and uh you know some surprises and stuff like that and like, it was literally about uh, I think it was four weeks before the event, we'd already mm-hmm. started to sell the tickets. Um, and then the news came through. I remember actually yeah. going to see the venue that we'd, we'd arranged and, you know, having a bit of a, people were joking about, oh, you know, what's this virus that's coming around? And, oh, we might just mm-hmm. have to bump elbows with each other. And, oh, maybe we'll have to think about it. And lo and behold, like literally within a day or two, it was all you know everything Mm -hmm. was shut down so Mm -hmm. that is on hold we're monitoring the situation and for large gatherings um keeping an eye on other pride events to see what they're doing to get an idea of how we might be able to proceed i Mm -hmm. note that um just recently brighton pride which had was set to go on this year Mm -hmm. i think is just the last few days it's cancelled so that's a bit worrying so i think now we're going to make a decision um fairly soon about how to proceed um yeah you know coronavirus has impacted our community um 
quite a lot actually even within our trustees and our uh, you know our management system we've been like dreadfully we've had like a devastating impact on on some of our family members as well so that is and as a volunteer-led organization with like very little capacity and little funding it's mm -hmm. really very difficult to keep that momentum going under mm -hmm. you know a, a situation like this when you're battling things like grief and uh, mm -hmm. trying to keep safe and things like that so there's like mm -hmm. a lot of things against us but you know i do truly believe in this festival and the more i got into organizing it the more was coming at me in terms of like who we could get involved where you know you know what the conversations could be how this could be part of a national conversation and mm -hmm. you know i i i this will happen one way or another it's going to happen so yeah stay tuned I really hope it does. Um, Iman Fest sounds like a fantastic idea. I mean, I'm not necessarily a Muslim, but for instance, when... Well, you, um... you either are or you're not, right? So it's not yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not... just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, red for Phil. <laughs> <laughs> the point I was going to make was that... Um, like I remember the first time that like I went to uh, UK Black Pride. Yeah. And the thing that I felt felt about it because I should um, say by the way, sorry. I I mean I was joking, but we do have um, uh, you know we ha do have a section for allies. That's going to be like a really important part of the festival as well because. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just thinking about what we had in terms of like a workshop and stuff. Allies are hugely important, so please be an ally. <laughs> Okay, no, yeah, I was actually, I was actually, that was going to be one of my questions, if, like, if allies would, would be able to come, or um, other members of the LGBT community would be able to, like, show some support in some way, but I'm glad that you clarified that. Yeah. And I was just making the point that I remember, like, when I went to UK Black Pie for the first time, and obviously I was living in London, but um, I hadn't been out of the closet for that long when, uh, when I came. I didn't know many, uh, many uh, queer people of colour at all um, in the city so just going there for that one afternoon and just not always not feeling like just the other or just like the one person that stuck out you're just like in a, in a complete community with people around you has effects that you can't really quantify like you can't um that you can't really put it into words it's so, so that powerful. in itself is it's so, powerful. so powerful yeah it's you know uk black pride do an amazing job at that and i've just you know watched them go from strength to strength and they include us as well we're in touch with them and mm -hmm. you know we try to get involved where we can and i know it, it, uk black pride tries to encompass muslim people and people from different parts of the world that you know might not traditionally be considered black but i just think it's really important to have be around your own community sometimes um you know you need that it's you know the, i just think it's really important yeah i completely agree i think like you've both said as well until it happens you don't realize how much you needed it um Agreed. you get used to always being like in a sort of some kind of minority and then when you go there you're thinking ah oh, so this is what the majority feels like all the time and, and it's just it's exactly it's so it's such an intangible thing and you like you say you you can't you, you can't appreciate it until you experience it mm -hmm. for sure definitely i completely agree so i mean we're keeping our like we'll be keeping what our our social medias everything peeled for any extra news of iman fest thank you and i'll be sure to release something as soon as we find out please do yeah please yeah keep us updated so we um, know when we know when we can turn up 
I don't say that we could turn up to turn up. Or maybe... <laughs> no, I've already said you're welcome. Don't try and twist it. <laughs> we might get you on board, actually. Just to, just to spite you, we might get you on board. So, Faison, I was like, going to ask, like, always, like, we've spoken to quite a few people who are, like, community activists, community organisers, and like I'm always really interested to know that like, kind of like what made you like get into it and do it for as long as you have and like to keep like keep pushing forward for this amount of time. Um, I think this is true for a lot of activists. Um, in your activism, you're kind of helping yourself, right? When mm -hmm. you feel powerless, as I did when my you know early twenties. Um, mm -hmm. and completely isolated and completely mm -hmm. petrified. Um, there's something that you gain from helping other people. You kind of end up helping yourself in a way. And I think that's what happened with me. Um, and I think that stayed with me as I've gone through my life, because as I said, it's not just coming out. Um, there's all the other big life events um, that are impacted by the fact that you're LGBTQ+. You know, for example, I had my a nikah like a, a religious wedding ceremony with my partner a few years ago and mm -hmm. um that i mean i didn't anticipate it but it, it it knocked me off my feet like the how heteronormative those you know weddings mm -hmm. and marriages are and how you're excluded from them as an lgbtq plus person particularly for minorities like us i think Mm -hmm. um so every stage of my life when i've come across something has been okay now this is also impacted by the fact that i'm queer and yeah. now this is impacted by the fact that i'm queer okay when is this ever going to end and the answer is never right mm -hmm. so that's mm -hmm. what keeps me going and and keeps me wanting to uh, raise awareness and you know get other people involved but it's just like the sense of injustice I just can't get over. I've never been able to sit back and watch bullshit in front of my eyes. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, from a really young age, being the child of immigrants in this country, being in a minority um, in that respect and being made aware of it at a ridiculously young age. I was thinking mm -hmm. back the other day about when I first experienced racism. And actually, I think I was about four years old. Mm -hmm. and uh which is don't you think it's shocking i'm like yeah. mm -hmm. you can't be yeah. racist to people back in the day were racist to children i was called a black bastard can you mm -hmm. right i'm like mm -hmm. and, and that wasn't an isolated incident that happened a lot as we were growing up when i was a child the 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 level of racism was kind of a bit similar to how it is now mm -hmm. um so and that was really scary because it wasn't just yourself that you're scared about you're also scared for your parents because mm. you know they had like limited um you know language abilities you could understand mm -hmm. everything maybe they didn't understand everything it was mm -hmm. just like a really horrifying thing so that kind of ignited like this sense of what is right and what is wrong other things like you know talking about gender i come from a family where they're you know they had a very kind of like distinct expectation from the boys in the family and the girls in the family and i was raised mm -hmm. as a girl mm -hmm. um, but as someone who's non-binary and is doesn't feel attached to either gender that was outrageous to me absolutely outrageous mm -hmm. to me so that kind of again sparked a sense of what is just and what's uh, you know not just 
lots of things and you just you know you when you become aware of like one level of injustice you you know you're able to see it everywhere mm-hmm. um so but i think it's really important to focus on like i really you know as a muslim i really do believe in um like predestiny and uh, what your fate is and mm-hmm. i don't you know there are so many things about being a queer muslim that um makes sense to me and the way that i've lived my life so i for example i don't believe that i would be as interested in my faith if i wasn't queer because i was faced to mm. i was forced to question it so much mm. right mm-hmm. and forced to delve into it and look at these arguments that people around me were saying that oh you know you're going to hell or this is going to happen or you're not a muslim which you know turns out to be bullshit but um mm-hmm. so that's like one thing um i've lost my thread but i think you get kind of where i'm coming from right yeah yeah i think you've actually painted like two two really like really vivid pictures then it was one the first one is when you were saying that like um you were experiencing experiencing racism at such a young age but then you also mentioned that if, if your children if your parents are have come from pakistan and um and you are the you are an english speaker and you are cognizant of like people around you like spewing all this really hateful stuff but then like having to try and over help and trying to protect your parents because they don't necessarily hear it or understand it but you have to take that on because you understand it and get it i don't think that's something that we'd always hear about necessarily it's yeah it was it was i can't explain it honestly in the east end of london where i grew up um and being quite a bright kid as well um, and being like really observant of people's things like body language and the tone of their voice and things like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. I could definitely pick up on things that, you know, going out shopping with my mum, like what the shopkeepers might say or the market store holders holders might say to her, or mm-hmm. you know, there were times like what happened? Someone, I think we were out. Someone spat at my brother, some white yeah. kid, Gosh, and then yeah. you know we ran after him. There was this other classic time though because my mum's like total badass she was um we were visiting some of our family friends and there was this white couple who started some racist abuse against you know the whole family my mom and my dad and us kids were in the back of the car um i just remember my mom picked up an empty milk bottle and whacked it over this guy's head because like he was attacking my dad um, yeah. And, you know, that kind of like showed me strength, right? Yeah. It showed yeah. me that, you know, you don't sit back and take mm. shit from people. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the East End of London uh, was not a friendly place for uh, black and Asian people, um, mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. then. Uh, but I don't know. Not, yeah. not nice, not nice memories. No. Yeah. And like I said, it's, I, I think it's kind of the idea of having to deal with that sort of thing at a young age as well, which I think not, I feel like a lot of people don't like, won't like, won't acknowledge that or don't even think, yeah. think that's what people have to experience when they've, when they've gone up in the UK, but that is, that is the truth of the matter. It is the truth of the matter. Um, you know, we had the National Front, which was like, what is now i mean who's the latest big racist English. party is the bnp still going i don't know but yeah. there was a, a party called the national front which is like white supremacist um mm-hmm. skinheads and that lot marching outside our street and i could see in the march um like the older brothers of kids in my class at school mm-hmm. um you know all of those little flashbacks of memories they stay with you and it just mm-hmm. creates this 
you know, you ne- you can never quite relax. My mum mm-hmm. used to say to us, actually, when we were growing up, you know, don't get too comfortable. You lot are getting too English. Stick to your culture and remember mm-hmm. who you are. We used to mm-hmm. just laugh and we're like, what do you mean? Like, we're from London, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But lo mm-hmm. and behold, hello, Windrush, hello. You yeah. Know, right? <laughs> yeah. She was right. Because yeah. my mum used to say, they'll, you know, before you know it, they'll try and kick you back. You know, they'll try and send us back. And we mm-hmm. literally laughed. Mm-hmm. And hello, Windrush. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 100%. No, it's 100%. dressed up as some other excuse of why it's happening. But then you really you think, well, they've got their official reason why something wasn't done and why people is imported. And you think, well, that's the official reason. But the real reason, I think we all know, right? It is about we race. We all know. Right? we Mm -hmm. all know so be on Mm -hmm. your guard you know you can't really relax unfortunately can you yeah that's kind of that's kind of one of the things again that we don't we don't talk about as often as kind of like being uh, like children of immigrants or like being descended from people who are from another country that if we're black and we're brown we're asian we're latinx and we live let's say in the uk but our parents or our grandparents are from another country um, in the UK, you are often othered, so you're the other. You're not quite seen as British or as British as like our white counterparts. But then in our in like our ancestral countries or the countries our parents come from, they see you as a foreigner. They they see you as English. They don't see you as like fully yeah. one is there. So there's always there's always that that there. In, in between, it, there is moment. there. Although I have to say that I did spend a lot of time. Um, I've spent about seven or eight years in Pakistan actually as an adult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a real mind-bending experience in terms of like identity and belonging and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, a really rewarding experience uh, for mm-hmm. lots and lots of reasons that I really should do some more writing about. Um, but yeah, similar to what you said, Fezan, that I want to spend time in Jamaica. Definitely, I obviously have concerns about being, you know, a homosexual man. But yeah. I just think it's because I've never even visited before. Like, we just couldn't afford to as kids. We have quite a big family. Um, yeah. But when I think it's such a missing piece of my identity, whereas obviously I know lots of people from there, I've grown up around family who have been born and raised there. But I don't think I'll, I'll never feel truly British because I know that realistically, like this is not where I'm supposed to be in a kind of. I don't, it's, it's it's really difficult to kind of explain, but. It's like this whole massive part of my identity that's tied to a country I've never even set foot in. And I think a holiday mm-hmm. wouldn't be enough. I'd want to spend time there to really understand my culture properly. Do you know what? I had exactly the same feelings um, before I moved to Pakistan for a while. Mm-hmm. And I just have to say it was the most eye-opening, mind-opening Maybe maybe the best thing that I ever did in my life was to go and spend time in my country of heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, things like people, everyone being able to pronounce your name properly through to, you know, just seeing yourself in other people's faces, you know, seeing yeah. other people's, you know, facial characteristics or whatever, learning about the language, the culture and the history and stuff. In terms of like being LGBT, um, like... Jamaica, Pakistan is a homophobic country. It's very conservative. Mm-hmm. It's become increased. For us, we've become like quite increasingly religiously conservative. So that was a whole thing to navigate. But, you know, I also had some amazing experiences meeting activists, LGBT activists over there um, mm-hmm. and getting involved with, you know, uh, that whole movement over there who I'm still in touch with. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I just think, yeah, try it out. But it also, like, it makes you feel weird because, like, I'd never, before I, this is, like, the weird, one of the weirdest things that I experience is, like, feeling, understanding what nationalism feels like. Like, I, I've never felt, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know, nationalism in this country is so weird because it's kind of tinged with this, like, kind of bit of a racist vibe going yeah. on, right? Yeah. Like, maybe, may, maybe all nationalism is, you know, maybe that's yeah. the case. So I've never really, you know, we've all, all you know, seen, been given a, a flag to wave at the Olympics and things like that. And it's often pushed mostly by like, you know, um, you know, white ad, ad agencies or the government, or whatever, trying to make us mm-hmm. feel proud to be British. But actually, it's more than just be, you have to feel it inside. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I, I did feel like a sense of uh, love for Pakistan that I wasn't expecting I Mm -hmm. think especially because when you're an economic immigrant like my family are there's like a sense that there's something wrong with the country that you came from Mm -hmm. and so and I think particularly for Pakistanis I mean it's a swear word right the p word is like you know the 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 number one kind of swear word for people like us Mm -hmm. um the the images that you think of when you think about Pakistan or Pakistanis are never positive never think about mm-hmm. Pakistani you think about all the worst things so mm-hmm. and also I grew up kind of feeling a bit ashamed about being Pakistani if I'm being honest all mm-hmm. the Pakistani immigrant children that I grew up with wanted to get as far away from the culture as possible went and did their own thing um but I found that in going back um to Pakistan I found I discovered like you know the world's oldest civilization it's part of South Asia obviously you know I became fluent in the language I learned about the politics yeah you know it was just mind-bendingly mm-hmm. amazing and I would recommend it um, for a lot of people to go and try out at least because yeah I just think it's a great thing yeah I echo what Kieran said actually um, that's been on my mind the idea of like identity especially like me being uh, like so I'm half Jamaican and half Gatishan, like a small island, 10 kids. And I've kind of like had a similar, like, I would want to go to Jamaica and spend some time there. But because, like, I've been to Jamaica once at, like, 11 years old. I have family. I um, Like, my mum has, like, first, like, first siblings who are from Jamaica and they've never met before. Right. So, like, it feels very daunting to me. Like not like not only as a queer person, but just as like someone who's been like been in the UK for my whole life, then like trying to go to like my country, like I said, my country's origin, like where my grandparents came from, and like will, will I be accepted there? Like will, um, like it does seem quite it does seem quite daunting, like. But they are your it. family, right? So they are your family. And one of the things, and I, I wonder if this would be what you would experience as well, like like grandparents and cousins and second cousins and all the rest of those people, they would all know bits about your life without you, you know, mm-hmm. like where you yeah. went to college, mm-hmm. what you studied, yeah. and what you're doing for yeah. a living. And yeah. they, that family connection, I think, is, is often really important too. Um, but also, you know, there is... A, I really also want to put across, like, how how amazing it is to belong to different cultures simultaneously like it's like a superpower it really is right you can you have the ability to perceive the world and see the world in vastly different ways because of your you know your immigrant heritage 
Mm-hmm. And I just think that that is something that nobody talks about. Um, I just think it's, you know, it gives you an experience of the world that, that not that many people get. Certainly monocultural pe- people don't have. Mm-hmm. I, it's a superpower. It's underrated. Like, use everything to your potential, I think, in life. Mm-hmm. I do agree. I, I do agree with that. I do agree with it, um, kind of like feeling like a superpower. I do feel blessed for having it. It's just that, like, I want to, like, I really do want to get more in my roots as, like, as a, like, kind of like Jamaican petition man. Because like that's where that's where I come from. No, that that's um that's a family heritage, and because like I am like second generation, I just don't want that to be lost. I feel like I feel like a sense of like responsibility almost to like keep our culture going and to keep, and like not to forget my heritage, yeah. and that's kind of like a big motivator. But also remember, because this is something else that I uh came to uh sort of uh, understanding about is that culture is like a living thing and like your experience as like the child of immigrants in this country is also part of the culture of St Kitts and Jamaica right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's another thing that gets forgotten in like uh, our countries of heritage and that Mm -hmm. was something that you know something that I find quite interesting even now because like you know um, I was able to vote I think in the last elections when I was in Pakistan and that felt really powerful because mm-hmm. I was thinking well who am I I'm not really from here but actually having that right is so much more important in mm-hmm. when you come from like backgrounds like ours you you are part of that culture you are part of that the story of some kids mm-hmm. in Jamaica and you know you need to appreciate that I feel like I've given you some counseling aids <laughs> <laughs> Do it, do it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, when you see um, when you see me posting my plane ticket to Jamaica, um, yeah, then, then I'll have you to blame. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Live your life seriously. You just got to get everything you possibly can. We all have so much potential in these lives, and I just think that you know our various identities, whether it's being queer, whether it's been like you know our ethnicities or our nationalities or whatever, you've just got mm-hmm. to explore everything. You can't. You know, you were made, I just really believe in this. It's like, you know, I was born the way that I was born, you know, with my gender identity, my sexuality, being, you know, the child of immigrants, being working class, all the rest of those things, they're there for a reason. They were mm-hmm. designed, you know, as a Muslim, I believe that God designed this for me. So mm-hmm. who am I not to explore that, to explore its full potential? I can't deny mm-hmm. any of these things. So, mm-hmm. you know, live your life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, a really interesting thing that you said before was when you're saying that like you being queer like really helped you like grow your spirituality and grow your relationship with um with god and i found that quite interesting because i think traditionally people always think that like because they're queer that means they have to like turn away from or like the two things can't go like can't go side by side i know we've had a conversation like that before kieran Mm. about religion I think that's really interesting. But, yeah. It's, ah, oh, man, it's, you know, we're in Ramadan. We're in the last few days of Ramadan. We're in the last 10 days of Ramadan, which are traditionally, like, the most important. So it's, like, a really powerful time. And we're having this mm-hmm. conversation now. It, to me, just feels like, well, I don't know. What can I say? I... I felt compelled to explore my religion and to explore my relationship with um, Islam... Mm-hmm. because of you know 
who I discovered myself to be or what I discovered myself to be. Mm-hmm. And one of the most important, useful things that I found was to separate my culture from my religion, number one, mm-hmm. and separate other followers of my faith from my religion. So other Muslims from my religion mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. keep it super simple. OK, mm-hmm. so my relationship is simply with God and that relationship is like nobody else's and nobody mm-hmm. has a right to tell me if I'm nobody on this earth has a right to tell me if I'm a Muslim or not. I literally could not care less what anyone thinks about mm-hmm. whether I'm Muslim or not enough. I know what my journey is and mm-hmm. I know that, you know, year by year, Ramadan through Ramadan, how much closer I'm building my relationship with God, um, how much is influencing me in my life, where I'm going wrong, because I do go wrong. Lots of everybody goes wrong, accepting my, um, you know, my flaws. But I just become more and more, I think, um, entrenched in this idea that I don't at the end of the day, I've got I've got to answer for my life. No one is going to answer for me, not even the people who are closest to me. Um, I just I don't know. I can't explain why that has become such a strong thing in my life. But um, I do know for sure that ha- was if I had not been queer, I would not have the inclination to delve into my religion as much as I have had to. Because I needed mm-hmm. to find out for myself because other people around me were saying, if I listen to, oh my God, if I listen to the crap that people say online, oh, you're, the number one thing is from uh, like a lot of people from the wider Muslim communities that you're not a Muslim. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but where on earth did you find that? If you, What makes you a Muslim is if you declare yourself to be a Muslim. That's like the main thing, you you know, that's the number mm-hmm. one thing. So I decide whether I'm a Muslim or not. If I, that's, you know, no, there's just so many immature, stupid people out there. I just don't have time for it. So mm-hmm. that's one thing. And I don't know, I think just like slowly, slowly in my own time and in my own way, um, finding religion for myself and not following like my community or even my family into their way that they find religion. Because mm-hmm. like the Pakistani version of Islam is the is is like just one version like one mm-hmm. culture how mm-hmm. many cultures are there out there right and pakistanis mm-hmm. don't even make up the majority of muslims in the world you mm-hmm. know it's i think mm-hmm. it's malaysians or something right it's not mm-hmm. even arabs do you know what i mean so mm-hmm. yeah why would i listen to you know i just had an inkling when i was really young about some of the hypocrisy going on because there is hypocrisy everywhere so seeing mm-hmm. people on the one hand saying oh, you've got to do this in order to be a Muslim, or you've got to wear that in order to be a Muslim, uh, Mm -hmm. or you've got to whatever to be a Muslim. But then seeing them doing other, you know, doing the opposite. Yes, yes, yes. People will always, people will always let you down. So don't rely on other people. Like you've really got to be single minded, I think, Mm -hmm. when it comes to your faith. And the biggest favor you can do to yourself, Mm -hmm. I think, is that any as a follower of any faith is just to like do your own thing and focus on yourself and your life. Because at the end of the day, you're going to die by yourself. You came into this Mm -hmm. world by yourself. You're going to leave on your own. And if you have that belief, then you're going to meet God by yourself and no one can intercede for you. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm, Alhamdulillah. I'm like, you know, um, I have like a, a good conviction. I'm not there mm-hmm. yet. I'm not like the perfect Muslim by any stretch of the uh, by the imagination. I've done lots of things that I wish I hadn't done in my life, but um, you know, I'm happy with where I am right now. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's turning into a sermon now. This like conversation is <laughs> from therapy to mentoring to counselling to. I should do some entertainment next. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sing your song. Sing your song. I'm gonna sing. Real talk, though, I think that is actually really sage advice. So the idea of kind of like stripping everything else away, because everything else, I guess, is just noise, isn't it? So there's like there's your your there's like your your relationship to your religion to your faith, and everything else is kind of like almost superfluous. So like other people's opinions, what people think you should be doing, how they see you acting as a Muslim or Christian, or any religion or any faith that you prescribe to is not as important as like your own your own relationship and so maybe yeah that kind of like idea of being single-minded that single-minded is actually really good i think that's actually really good advice like really really good true because really like when people say religion's man-made and you get in christianity you probably get in across a whole whole host of religions where it's like people get too sucked into the community aspect and like you know going to mosque going to church and what so and so thinks is how this person interprets this scripture, and really, like like Faison said, it's it's about you and God and your faith when it mm-hmm. all comes down to it, and like everything else. Mm-hmm. It's obviously all that stuff is useful, but too often, people act like out of self interest to decide what other people are doing when really it's not their business. True, I agree. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think it, other people can really throw you off track as well, and. Um you know, just focusing on like the spiritual fundamentals of things is a good way to start, I think. And I think actually one of the things that I was thinking as you were talking, it was that <clears throat> that was one of the things that led me to get involved with Iman is because I saw um, before I started to resolve this whole issue of sexuality, gender identity and, and religion, mm-hmm. uh, when I was just coming out and before Iman started, I would see a lot of people from our backgrounds like running like literally running away from the faith um Mm -hmm. having really confused culture and religion and going completely in the opposite direction and that to Mm -hmm. me felt like that's so wrong right not i don't blame i do not blame anyone for being put off by religion at all i don't Mm -hmm. um I, i just think that mainstream religious communities or faith communities do people such a disservice and they don't realize Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. terrible it is if you're putting someone off like the path that you know that is meant to be like their path with god Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like that is it don't you is that not a huge sin like in my mind is Mm -hmm. that like not a dreadful thing to do and mm-hmm. also it comes back to my sense of like justice. Who on earth gave you the right? You're not God. And one of mm-hmm. the other, the great, one of the things that I like about Islam is that we don't have, we have like a direct connection with God. So there's no like, <clears throat> even though we have imams and whatnot, they, it's not like a priest or a, a you know, something like that where they can tell us what to do mm-hmm. or they can make the, the religious laws. They can't. You, It's you and God. It's kind of more direct like that. So that, again, gives me, like, you know, if, if we don't have priests and, you know, those kind of people in between, what on earth role are, you know, homophobic people or people in your community, your wider community, why have they got a right to tell you what to do? They don't. No one has. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, actually, have you had, like, any any kind <clears throat> of, like, allyship or any kind of support from, like, um, from, like, the wider Islamic community? 
It's a funny one, actually. Um, periodically, we try to reach out, and periodically, sometimes someone from the mainstream community might respond, but mm -hmm. we've never been able to progress that journey of like, you know, how do we navigate this issue because it's becoming a bigger and bigger issue as mm -hmm. more and more people uh, speak openly about their gender identities and their sexualities and all the issues that come with them. So like one of the things that really worries me about our community is the like our mental health and um, particularly when it comes to things like um, things like suicide um, mm -hmm. because um, or other things related with with death like so for example i think a couple of years ago someone in our community unfortunately <coughs> passed through i think an asthma attack or something but they were a transgender woman mm -hmm. but at their funeral their family completely ignored you know their new name etc mm -hmm. um, and buried them in you know the the, the, the gender that they assumed the, that person to be and that to me is just like a horrible disservice and a horrible injustice there's mm -hmm. other people like there's great organizations like the uh, nasa map foundation who talk about um you know nasa's situation who felt um so you know um distraught at the the family pressure around culture mm -hmm. and religion that and took his own life that to me is like horribly unjust and those things how long can the wider community ignore <clears throat> situations like that and I do see it time and time again even like our most popular shakes online and the, you know the imams that talk about lots of different modern subjects I have yet to see anyone speak in a sensible um, you know non-judgmental non way about the issue of sexuality and gender identity and, and how to how a young person is supposed to, or any person who is queer or trans or whatever is supposed to navigate that. And I think that they are doing us a disservice too. Um, mm -hmm. There is so much more support that is needed that we don't get. And it just drives me. It just, I just, I can't bear to see people unhappy. I just, it just breaks my heart. I just, ah, mm -hmm. oh, you know, that's one of the things that just keeps me going. And if I, you know, if we had more, you know, like I said, we're a volunteer led and run um, charity everyone has a full-time job doing something else trying to make a living but um we use our volunteer time to help people but if we had like the resources my god the things that we could do you know mm -hmm. uh, i'm working on it mm -hmm. i'm trying to chat to people about you know helping us out a bit more there's a lot more to be done mm -hmm. um this might be a great segue um in like doing my research i did come across there was like a GoFundMe or um or a just giving account where you where people can donate ah yes yeah um so we have an ongoing um fundraiser to help us continue our work so uh if anyone is interested they can go to justgiving.com forward slash iman which is i-m-a-a-n dash l-g-b-t-q-i so even if you just go to the justgiving.com website and look up Iman, I-M-A-A-N, L-G-B-T-Q-I, you'll find us. Um, and that those that money goes to like general running costs of our meetings and so on. So yeah, donate. Great. Mm -hmm. So 
um usually when uh when our guests have like our fundraising we usually make a small donation so we will do that we will also advertise um advertise the just giving page on our show notes so anyone who is listening to this will be able to see it and click on it and give some cash that's so kind that's so kind both of you honestly so kind thank you very much I mean, don't hold your breath. We're not, we're not, we're not rich. We're not rich holes here. <laughs> yeah, we're not living our future. <laughs> Every little helps. Do you know what I mean? Every little. Yeah. Helps. <laughs> but yeah, so we are getting towards us the bit where we start to wrap. Okay. I just wanted to know if there's anything that you wanted to say or anything that you wanted to um, wanted to like get out there or plug or say that we haven't covered already. I think probably just because your podcast is going out around Eid, just to wish all LGBTQ plus uh, Muslims around the world, anyone who's listening to this, uh, Eid Mubarak and, uh, you know, stay, keep the faith, you know, stay in touch, get in touch with us, find other queer Muslims, build your community. You are valid. You are a Muslim. No one can kick you out of the faith unless you want to leave yourself. And, uh, you know, just Eid Mubarak to everyone. You deserve the world. Perfect. Yes, happy Eid to everyone celebrating, whether you're listening, whether you have found the world. And uh, are there any, are there any like, uh, any websites or any um, social media things that you want to, you want to get out there? Yeah, so if you want to keep up to date with what Iman is up to, we post all of our events on our social media pages, either on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, if you just look up Iman LGBTQ uh, LGBTQI, any of those, uh, you'll be able to find it. We post about those quite regularly. At the moment, what will be happening? I'm sure there'll be an Eid gathering at some point. By the time this goes out, there'll be an Eid gathering. So you can log into that from anywhere in the world. Um, <clears throat> and other than that, we'll go into our monthly meetings and then keep an eye out for Iman Fest and Muslim Pride event as we try to sort out and navigate this pandemic and get it, get this show on the road. Yes, perfect. So, I for one have um I feel like I've actually learned a lot in this um in this what nearly ninety minutes that we've been speaking. I really whenever we have, well. yeah, whenever we have guests, like you never you never quite know how you how you're gonna go. Sometimes you just have jokes. Sometimes you really go away with things that you should go away and think about. And I feel like I've definitely had that had that today with you, Faison. So. Thank you so much for coming on to Black Boy Joy Podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been great. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And I think what you what you guys are doing is amazing. So, you know, thank you from the bottom of my heart for saying such lovely things. Oh. <laughs> Love fest is happening. <laughs> you're great. No, you're great. No, you're great. <laughs> Yes, we are Black Boy Joy Podcast. Uh, we're available on all good places to stream podcasts at Spotify, Google Podcasts, Audible, Apple Podcasts. If you are on Apple Podcasts and you like what you hear, please leave us a glowing five star review and a nice and um, a nice little white top to um, to show your appreciation. Um, we are on Instagram. That's at Black Boy Joy Podcast. Our Twitter is Black Boy Joy Pod. Uh, you can send any uh, emails or requests or any queries to blackboardjoypodcast at gmail.com 
Um, thanks everyone for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Have a pleasant day. Peace.